listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with your host, Deb Wolf. And today I have with me somebody I love to interview because you never know what she's going to say. Today's no exception. I've got my questions ready for her. The first thing we're going to be talking about is pot and pets. That's right, marijuana, kitties and doggies. And she's not going to say what you think she's going to say. So welcome to the show, Dr. Carol Osborne. Welcome to the show, Dr. Carol. Well, thank you, Deborah. I'm delighted to join you and Animal and we- Party on Pet Life Radio. Well, I'm even more delighted to be with you. Well, see, pot and parties, they go together. And normally when I interview a veterinarian and they mention pot and pets, they're usually saying that you should lock it up, keep it safe, never let your pets into it. And I know you agree with that. You don't want them accidentally getting into the stash. But I think you go a little bit beyond that, don't you? Well, what I try to do is, is, is I try to point out some of the medicinal purposes or the medicinal qualities that marijuana offers to pets as it currently does for many people that are suffering from a variety of ailments. And I think one of the things that's somewhat interesting is in Colorado, where the weed's been legal for about 12 years, over the last five years, the incidence of dogs going to the ER for pot exposure has basically quadrupled. If you're wondering, is it dogs, is it cats? About 95% of the patients seen are, in fact, canines. Is that because they're getting it out of food? Are they getting the brownies? Is that what the deal is? Well, they're not smoking or inhaling the smoke for the most part. What they're doing is they're getting into their owner's baked goods. And the thing about baked goods is most of them are made with medical-grade marijuana butter, uh, which is sold at the various licensed dispensaries. But in the marijuana butter, the THC is condensed. Consequently, it's higher and potentially more toxic than it would be in just regular marijuana smoke, for example. I see. Okay. So they're going, the dog's raiding the food. He doesn't know there's pot in it. Exactly. It? Whether it's brownies or cupcakes or cookies, the pets are getting into the owner's stash. And then the owners, unfortunately, when they see their pet stagger, uh, look like he's a little bit drunk, be a bit wobbly, have great big dilated pupils. If they take their dog to the vet, many of these owners are hesitant to sort of fess up and tell the vet what's really going on. And if pet owners would fess up and just tell the veterinarian, there's a very simple in-office urine test that'll diagnose that in a snap uh, works in humans as well as dogs. So when it comes to your pet's health, you're always better off to fess up and tell the truth. Let them treat the dog. How do they treat your dog? Uh, they, they give fluids sometimes because the pet's Uh, get so relaxed, they're not able to coordinate their mouth properly to eat and drink, so you want to avoid dehydration. Uh, They'll give them some fluids, usually just under the skin. And if there's a serious problem, they can stomach tube them with a little bit of activated charcoal to just get that THC out of there. But 
aside from scaring people about all the, the bad things and all the potential complications of marijuana intoxication in pets, and by the way, for you smokers out there, take your pot, just like your pills, and put it somewhere that is up high out of your pet's reach so that this kind of situation doesn't end up in your particular home. But for people wondering, well, how are all these dogs getting intoxicated? You know, a lot of these owners are, are offering the marijuana uh, in the, the baked goods, if you will, to their pets because they feel that it helps their pet in some certain medicinal way. And if you look at the research that's been published on cannabis and exactly, you know, what cannabis does, it has a lot of pretty incredible properties. It's an anti-emetic or an anti-vomiting, anti-nausea type medication. It also possesses anti-inflammatory properties that unlike drugs like Rimadyl, for example, are not COX-2 inhibitors, so you don't have the risk of acute liver failure and sudden overnight death with no signs. Um, you know, Rimadyl, Medicam, those, those drugs, I've seen them have really good temporary or immediate results in pets, but I didn't like the long term. I really didn't. And so that's, that's a question. And I don't know if it's direct cause and effect or the pet would have suffered anyhow, but it just seems like of all the years I've been doing this, I don't, I don't know about those. Same as prednisone. The effect on the pets, I mean, it's always in a dire situation when it gets put on prednisone, but sometimes years later, you can see that it's really not having a good quality of life as a right. result. Of prednisone is one of those things used for itching and allergies, for example, that creates an effect right now. So if you're itching at the vet, by the time you get home, it's going to be a 14-day miracle from the shot. What they don't tell you is as the years go, it's very hard on the liver and kidneys. So in dogs with prednisone, steroids affect the liver and kidneys in, in, a, in a very negative way. So we want to try to keep that to a minimum. Drugs but like when you Rimadol, talk about, about Rimadol and, and Medicam, are you saying that someone whose pet has, say, um, sore hips or arthritis or something, you know, many old dogs get, and they're limpy and they're putting them on this to give them better quality of life, are you saying that perhaps they could reduce or eliminate these drugs and instead give their pet some pot to eat? Well, I'm not suggesting that in, in any stretch of the means, but what I am saying is that I talk to hundreds upon hundreds of pet owners, both in my own practice uh, here in Ohio, as well as uh, consultations that I do by phone. Um, I had one client with a dog, a big older German Shepherd, suffering from severe degenerative arthritis, and she did not want to put the dog on a drug like Rimadyl, Deramax, Medicam, etc., so she elected to go with a natural combination of glucosamine, MSM, omega-3 type supplements, but told me on the phone that she gives the pills with marijuana butter. Uh, and she felt that not only did it make it easy for her to give the pills, but that she also felt that her dog appreciated the medicinal properties or the anti-inflammatory properties of the, the marijuana or the THC in the marijuana itself. So Can I ask I think, you, when you talk about marijuana butter, it makes me think of cats, right? Because sometimes it's really, really hard to get cats to take anything or eat anything, but they do like butter. So is this, a, is this something that you could put a tiny bit of marijuana butter on your finger and a cat would lick it off? Or do you really have to be worried about doses with such a strong drug with a small animal like that? Well, be it perfectly clear that I am not advocating that any pet owner goes out and gives marijuana or marijuana butter to their pets. 
But what I am simply stating is that there are many pet owners out there who are fairly savvy about marijuana and its medicinal properties, and they think, well, if it can do all these things to help human cancer patients and human patients suffering from a variety of ailments, perhaps it could do something like that for my pet. And the consensus is that most of these pet owners are, in fact, offering these baked goods to their pets to try to actually help their pets. Whether it's a dog or a cat, certainly if you have access to the butter or to the substance, you can make your own decision about what you feel is best for your particular pet. But do understand that there are more than a handful of veterinarians out there that are aware of the properties of marijuana that are not opposed to its medicinal properties, and we'll talk to you honestly and openly about what that particular product may or may not do for your particular pet. You know, it's interesting we're talking about this today. I booked this show last week without realizing that in the interim, Obama would say that he's not going to use federal laws to come down on the states that have decriminalized pot in the last little while. And our leader, our Prime Minister Stephen Harper, just out of the blue came down with uh, something that's really, really scaring the sickest people in our society, the people with cancer and MS who rely on pot for relief and get it grown by a designated grower. He's now saying nobody can grow and nobody can be a designated grower except for these big, giant conglomerates, which are actually suspiciously connected, it seems, to organized crime. So I think he's either duped or, uh, <laughs> or in their pocket. But one way or the other, he's making a huge mistake for some very sick people. These are people with cancer and uh, Crohn's and MS and debilitating things that, that only pot helps them with. And everything else has so many side effects. And I suspect it could be the same for some really ill pets, couldn't it? I would have to absolutely agree with that statement that I think that it needs to be further researched. There needs to be more investigation and further testing, but certainly there are veterinarians out there in the field aware of the benefits or the potential benefits that it has to offer, um, and there is published data on marijuana, its medicinal properties, as well as its effects in pets. And I would encourage pet owners that, that are interested in that to do your due diligence, do your homework, talk to your veterinarian, and, and then make your decision accordingly. Yes, we're going to go to break on uh, Animal Party with Pet Life Radio. And we'll be back to talk to Dr. Carol about a few other things, including, well, this is kind of controversial. I always thought you were supposed to spay and neuter your animals really, really soon. Really soon. As soon as possible. Six months, maybe. Eight months, ten months at the most, especially for the boys. But Dr. Carol has a different take on that. So stay tuned to Animal Party and we'll find out what she's got to say. Back in a bit on Animal Party with Pet Life Radio. Don't go anywhere because the best is yet to come. Stick around. Is the coast clear? Yes. Let's go. Are you sure they went to Petco? Where else would they go? Oopsie. Hey, calm down. I smell presents. <gasps> go to PetcoDeals.com and get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off hundreds of holiday items at Petco. That's PetcoDeals.com. Go now. Uh-oh. Step on it. Okay. Ow. Not up my tail. <laughs> Petco, where the pets go. 
X-Power is a global brand that offers a complete line of stand dryers, cage dryers, and multiple blasters that cater to both home and professional groomers. Designed to be quiet, lightweight, and powerful, X-Power pet dryers will save you time, energy, and money. The X-Power B2 Pro at Home Dryer is the perfect holiday gift for family and friends. Please check out our holiday specials at viperpet.com and amazon.com. For more information, visit xpower.ws or call 855-855-8868. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. You're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello. We're back on Animal Party with Pet Life Radio. I've got some news stories for you today. But before we get to that, let's find out what Dr. Carol has to say about spay and neuter. Well, thanks for having me back, Deborah. And as far as spaying and neutering goes, for you pet owners that want your pets to enjoy the maximum or the optimal levels of health, wellness, and longevity, then remember not to spay or neuter your pets until they are age six or older. So why did we all grow up learning to spay and neuter our pets just as quick as we could? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because we've got a whole bunch of irresponsible pet owners that don't keep their pets on leashes. So we have all these dogs and cats getting pregnant, having babies that no one wants, and then, of course, the shelters are booked up to their necks with pets looking for good homes. So we do not spay and neuter our pets for their health. We spay and neuter pets to try to combat the problem with pet overpopulation. What does early spaying and neutering do to pets? Exactly the opposite of what we've all been taught. It increases the incidence of cancer. I'm talking about reproductive tract cancer. I'm talking about cancer uh, of, of the bone or the long bones, if you will. It increases behavioral abnormalities. So if you went out there and you used to think that Goldens and Cocker Spaniels were the two greatest breeds personality-wise you could choose from, well, think twice. If you spay or neuter that little dog at a very young age, you may not have adopted or purchased the dog with the personality that you thought you were going to get initially. In addition to cancer, diabetes, arthritis, pancreatitis, Alzheimer's disease, and a 30% reduction in health, wellness, and longevity. Those are some pretty alarming statistics, and that is published data actually published by the American Veterinary Medical Association who advocates early spaying and neutering. You know, I wonder about, I don't know if you mentioned it because the list went pretty fast. What about the cancer, I guess it's breast cancer that the females get? Right. Cancers of the reproductive tract, for example, breast cancer in, in, a, in a female dog, prostate cancer, let's say in a male dog. Uh, what's interesting is that, yes, the incidence of hormonally or sexually related disorders, whether you're a, you know, a male, for example, worried about prostate issues, or a female worried about breast issues, the incidence of those issues does not decrease with spaying or neutering. It instead 
increases. Once again, the exact opposite of what most pet owners have been told by their veterinarians and the exact opposite of what good students like myself learned when we were in veterinary school. Okay, what about, and I know it's one of these cancers, but it's specifically been told to me over and over again that I must spay my breeding dogs when they're finished because they'll get pyometria. Are you saying no, that's not right? Oh, okay, that's a, very, that's a very good point. Pyometria is a big fancy word for pus in the uterus. And when intact or unspayed female dogs hit the ages of somewhere between, let's say, 8 and 12, there is a chance that they could get this disease called pyometra, and the treatment is spaying the dog immediately to remove the uterus that's filled with pus. But remember what I just said, spaying and neutering your pets any time after they hit six years of age. So spay and neuter your pets before they hit seven, you'll never have to worry about pyometra. But is that, okay, so I'm trying to, for my breeding dogs, like now I did spay my, my mama dog and she, around that age, older, just about eight, and, uh, but she didn't, there was a lot of reaction to it. Like she tried to chew off her tail and then I had to have her tail docked, even though she's a golden retriever and she just didn't do well with this. I, I regretted it after. So my male, when I retired him, I didn't neuter him and I'm sort of waffling on this. Always I'd had pet dogs that I'd neutered and spayed and now I, after hearing you and having this bad result with this one breeding dog, now I have two young breeding females and a young breeding male, but when they get elderly and they're not working anymore, what's your recommendation? Should I leave them alone? You're in a quandary. With respect to your your male breeders uh, that you're no longer using for breeding, quite honestly, in my opinion as a veterinarian going on for 25 years, because the incidence of sexually related diseases does increase as we spay and or neuter a pet, there wouldn't be anything causing me to run to the vet and get my dog neutered. With respect to your female dogs that are over the age of six that you're no longer using for breeding, then yes, I would recommend spaying those dogs primarily to prevent this pyometra situation from popping up in your arena. Even though if it pops up, it's the same thing anyway? Like it's, it's sort of like when you do something just in case, but if it happens, it's the same. Like, why would I put her under and go the, through the, surgery? The reason, the, the reason yeah. is because it's not an uncommon problem okay. uh, in these older intact females. And okay. if I was going to say, you know, I can't give you an exact percentage of older intact female dogs that develop pyometra, it's, it, it would be rare to see a pyometra in a dog that was eight years of age or less. You know, you might be talking about maybe 10 or 20% of the canine population that is, that is prone to pyometra. The difference is one way you do it electively, you do it when you'd like to do it at your convenience. Nothing is an emergency. There's nothing to get excited about. But when you actually yeah, get diagnosed with a pyometra, then it becomes an emergency or a life-saving procedure. And that's why spaying the dog any time after she's six is just a smart, prudent decision to make to avoid an emergency situation down the road when she's older and less able to handle the anesthesia, which is always your number one risk. It's never the surgery. It's always the anesthesia because once someone puts you to sleep, whether you're a person, a dog, or a cat, there's never, and I repeat, never a guarantee that you're going to wake up. And, and I think sometimes we forget that uh, yeah. as our pets when get older and older. Really point. common with people with older pets and they get a dental. The dog is 15 years old and they put it under general anesthesia for a dental, and that's the last time that individual sees 
sees their pet. That's something that I think needs to be reversed. Uh, there are ways to clean teeth with, with sedatives, a little bit of Valium, for example, just kind of a little twilight. Very, very safe. We get those teeth clean, and we don't pose any health risk to that older pet, if you will. Oh, that makes so much sense. You know, in the news, they've kind of rated the worst states and the best states in terms of punishing animal abusers. So I just wanted to, to highlight that today. The five best states to be an animal abuser, so the five worst in terms of putting them in jail and restricting them from owning animals after and, and making sure animals have the minimum care they need, the five worst states. So here they go. If you live there, you've got to start lobbying your government to change things. Kentucky, North Dakota... Iowa, South Dakota, and New Mexico. Those are the five worst states in terms of animal abuse and how they deal with it. And the five best states, the ones doing the best job, Illinois, Maine, California, Michigan, and Oregon. So we want to give a big shout out to them. Biggest improvement since last year was Kansas and Idaho. So that's good. Okay, so uh, I wanted to highlight that, but I also wanted to talk about a sentence that you might have heard of, Dr. Carroll. A Biloxi woman sentence is really, really crazy. Have you heard about this one? I don't know if I have, so I'll let you inform me. Okay, well, this woman, she's been, she's part of a program to deal with feral cats, and she's 78 years old, and she goes and feeds these cats, you know, and takes care of them and and feeds a whole whack of them. Uh, She's fed as many as 27, and it's all a registered program. It's part of the feral cat program, trap, neuter. They've all been vaccinated. They've all been veterinary uh, examined and re-released, and this is all okay, but there's a glitch in the legislation. So there's a city ordinance that still limits the number of domestic cats a resident can have because it wasn't changed when the resolution was signed to allow for the feral cat colony. This woman's now been charged with breaking the law by feeding the cats she was who are in her care as part of this cat rescue place. And so she's now made to do community service and she's already doing community service. That's what feral cat rescue is. I mean, it's, it's just so unfortunate. I hope people help her. Anybody in Biloxi who cares about cats should try and get a hold of this woman. And I know the SPCA is trying to help her too. You know, going back to spaying and neutering, you know, for, for those of you that adopt the cat, that you, you know, you're, you're not into breeding, you're not into showing. Remember, when a cat comes into heat, they continuously go back into heat until either the season is over, which lasts for six months, or until they're pregnant. So for those of you cat owners, remember, cats can have a litter of kittens and boom, turn around and a week later get pregnant. So that's really something to to consider and to think about, you know, unless you have a very fancy show cat, uh, you know, that's one thing. But if you you have a cat that, you know, you love and is is your fuzzy little companion, then be a responsible pet owner. If you don't think you can keep the cat under lock and key, under your attention at all times, then I think spaying and neutering is the answer. So as to avoid, for example, these type of feral cat problems, which, which, which are huge. Well, you know, and when you talk about that, it's with the dog people too. I mean, I think, I think there are a lot of people out there who don't want to put in the time to train an intact male because it is more work. It's absolutely more work to train an intact male, and it's ongoing. Every time he gets it's the sniff of a female. It's absolutely more work. And for those of you that get a young male puppy who's very aggressive, that's another reason to neuter. Because when you neuter these dogs at a young age, it cuts that aggression, and it makes them 
a little bit more easy to handle, and it makes them more responsive to training. So that is a reason, and a valid reason, to neuter, to neuter a young male dog is to improve personality, behavior, and to be able to implement a proper training strategy. Well, and you also have to think about the fact that uh, most often when children or people get bit, it's an unneutered male that does the biting. And most often uh, dogs are, well, not most often, but often, often, often killed by cars. And unneutered males, they got a reason to roam, escape, wander, get killed by cars. So if you've got a Houdini dog who's always getting out and disappearing and he's intact, you kind of are fitting Dr. Carroll's exception here. That means you are yes, not you're in fitting, control. You're fitting- Right, right, right into the exception. If you've got a wandering dog that you can't keep track of, you need to go ahead and, and, and neuter that dog to cut that natural instinct to wander and to roam and to mark their territories and to see how many female dogs they can gather up in their little compound. Well, and, and the risk of uh, cancer at the end of his life because he was neutered early as opposed to getting hit by a car tomorrow if he's crossing the busy street to get to his next girlfriend. You know, when I was a kid, we had the standard poodle, our very first and then more after that but he my dad did not want to neuter this dog but the dog kept escaping and he was you know first he jumped five feet then six feet then seven feet and they kept building the fence higher and they were up to nine and a half feet finally my dad decided okay it's time but they neutered the dog he could still escape but he didn't really know where to go anymore so he would you'd let him out the back door and then you'd let him in the front door because he'd be waiting at the front door sitting on the mat. Like he just, he didn't make trouble anymore and he didn't get himself into trouble anymore. Yeah. When you, so, when you spay or neuter a pet, you're basically reducing their energy expenditure level, if, if you will, horm- on a hormonal basis by about 30%. So instead of saying, you know, my dog got fat because he spayed and he just lays around and eat, it's important to remember that you need to adjust your food to the exercise and activity level of that particular pet. So once a pet is spayed, keep that in the back of your mind that we're going to have approximately a one-third reduction in energy expenditure and in you know activity levels. So you want to decrease your pet's diet accordingly. And then if you say, well, what's left to feed? Remember about those great fresh vegetables. They're great treats. Make them at least 30 to 50% of the diet. It's a great source of fiber as well. Okay, we're going to get to that in our last segment. We're going to talk about food in our last segment. But you did mention earlier about charcoal when a dog or a cat is, uh, you know, has, has, goes to the vet for the stomach pump. There, there's some kind of charcoal. Sure. And it made me wonder, are charcoal biscuits something sh- people should be using for pets who have upset tummies? Is that, is that just a scam or is it actually effective? I've seen them. I've used them. I've used them for Rottweilers with stinky gas. <laughs> And I don't know and if how, it helped. And, and how have they worked, Deb? Well, it's hard to say because it was really, really stinky, but maybe it helped a little. That's not, I had Chopper and then I had Dump. I had Rottweilers for years. And both, unfortunately, had cancer in the end. And both, it was so sad. But it seems to be a, a plague on Rottweilers lately. But they, uh, they were really, really good dogs with really stinky gas. One of them, he would, he would let one go, and then he would get this face on him, and he'd start sneezing, and he'd leave the room. Leave you there with it, you know? Funny dog. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know how palatable uh, char- charcoal biscuits would be. Uh, I, I can't see any, 
any risk in them, but certainly when we as veterinarians go to to try to treat a, a toxic substance, uh, be it THC butter or whatever it might be, uh, we, we pass a stomach tube and then we just deliver the activated charcoal in a slurry directly to the stomach where it then absorbs the toxins, which are then eliminated in the urine and stool. So from that description, it makes me think it would work. It makes me think if your dog has stinky gas or belching or stomach upset, if you're using it, in the, it directly ingested into the stomach, well, that's what happens when they eat a biscuit. So when the dog's better, not so ill that he needs a stomach pump, he would eat it. That makes so much sense. Well, okay, if, if, if he eats it, I, I can't see where it would do him any harm. But if you've got a dog with vomiting and diarrhea, remember those probiotics. If you're vomiting, no food or water for six to eight hours, start with something bland like chicken noodle soup. Okay. Okay. So... When we talk about containment, I just want to get that one more time before we go, because some people might think, oh, yeah, my cat's always indoors or my dog will not escape. But I think they underestimate the uh, desire of the cat in heat to get out or the dog living next door to the dog. In right. Heat. That's kind of like it's kind of like saying I have an indoor pet. Consequently, he'll never get a flea because mosquitoes will never come into my home. Unfortunately, it's good in theory, but it doesn't work. Uh, mosquitoes come can fly in between the little cracks in your screen door or just when you open and shut the door. So even an indoor house pet is subject to mosquito bites and heartworm disease. And I say that to make, you know, t- to make a, a point in, in general, if, if you will, that you, you might think that you can keep your pet under wash and key 24-7, but the chances of that are, are very slim. So Yeah, you know what? I've said some spectacular things. My golden, who's now spayed, she had this thing for this neutered schnauzer. I don't know why she liked him so much. True lust. Just an absolute crush on this neutered schnauzer named Max. And she actually broke into his pen in the kennel. I don't even know how because the latch was still on and the lock was still on when she was in heat trying to mate with him. Now he's standing there humping her, looking at me like, well, you know, you got to try. But, <laughs> but uh, and that would never have been my intent. I was escorting her. You know, she, determination, power. I was there. I witnessed it. I can't say how it happened. They are so strong. I've seen a right. girl you know, you know the old saying is you can't, you can't fool Mother Nature. Well, that's true. You, you can't fool Mother Nature. And Mother Nature made it so that when dogs and cats come, come into season, you know, they emit certain odors, which we refer to as pheromones, which let all the other four-legged members in the neighborhood know that we've got a female in heat, we've got a male dog out there on the prowl, so everybody gets together, and that's how the species perpetuates itself. But as pet owners, having house pets, if you really can't keep your pet supervised properly on a 24-7 basis, then spaying or neutering should be something to strongly consider, regardless of the age of your pet. Well, I'm thinking of, I saw this one golden retriever I had and it, you know, because I breed them, I have to wait. They can't breed every single heat. So there are heats when Romeo wants Juliet and it's, they're barking and howling and singing to each other and they have to be separate and it drives everyone crazy. And I've seen these girls back up to fences trying to, you know, the boy has to be kept two fields away because they'll, they'll manage somehow. They will find a way. And I don't think people realize how determined they are. Even, even um, some of the crosses I've seen. Like I've seen puppies and dogs come to Camp Good Dog as boarding clients, but I can tell they're, it's, you know, I ask them, what kind of dog is this? And they say, oh, it's a Malamute Corgi. Well, that's... Right, remember, that pets are like kids. If you, if, you take your, if you take your eye off them for, for one second, 
chances are they'll be gone. And it'll be right out that door because that's where they want to be, right in the center of all the action. Sometimes people think size is, you know, oh, well, my corgi can't possibly reach that Malamute. It'll be fine. You'd you'd be surprised. You know, and another big reason that people rush to stay female pets is because they do come into season twice a year. They do bleed or menstruate just like a human does. And quite frankly, it's very inconvenient. So again, if convenience is the issue, go ahead and and spay your pet. If it's not a factor, you don't mind putting on a little doggy diaper uh, for about five days twice a year, then don't worry about it. But do know that when that female dog is in heat, every male dog in the neighborhood that is not on a leash is going to be right there by your back door. Oh, yeah. And when you park your car at work, dogs will pee on your tires. Dogs will try and pee on your shoes when you're sitting in an outdoor cafe. Like, you will get... Yeah, I'm a breeder. Right, they'll so do what, whatever they run. can to spread their scent or mark their ter- territory and hope that they're going to get lucky with that attractive female. And he's yeah, just waiting for them. <laughs> If you live in the city and there's like a laneway behind your house or, or a busy area, you will be serenaded by the neighborhood. You know, you, this will not go unnoticed. So, so you got to consider your options. Okay, we're going to come back after just a little break, talk more with Dr. Carol, because I've learned a lot from Dr. Carol about feeding pets. And, you know, I read a lot. I review books, pet books all the time. And I've been mixing. I don't just buy commercial foods. For my animals, I, I use eggs and cottage cheese and I cook for them and I do all kinds of stuff for them. But since talking to Dr. Carol, I've quite changed what I do. I'm way heavier on the veggies than I used to be. So stay tuned and you'll find out how you can save on what you spend on your pet and how you prepare food. And it's really easy. It's really cheap. And they'll be healthier. So stay tuned to Animal Party with me, Deb Wolf. party before it's over because the best is yet to come only losers leave the party early anyway party on back in a few it's the holidays at PetSmart, so come one and all. There are hundreds of gifts for pets big and pets small. Toys only at PetSmart, so special and new. They'll love the gifts. You'll love the value. Hurry to PetSmart today for your very best friend and save 30 to 50% before the holiday ends. The holidays are just around the corner. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash PetSmart and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. So shop early and save money. Go to PetLifeRadio.com slash PetSmart today. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Vacs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. 
Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. You're, you're, you're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello. We're back with Animal Party. And I am going to talk about that monkey at Ikea. I have to, have to, have to. But before we get to that, we're talking to Dr. Carol Osborne. And she's going to help you trim your bills and feed your pets in a better way with some common sense looking at your refrigerator. Right, Dr. Carol? Absolutely. For those of you that are out there and you're thinking, what's the very best pet food that I can buy for my dog? And I get that question multiple times a day. And what I say to people in all honesty is if you want to pick the best of the worst, then at least go for something that's organic. If if it's 100% certified organic, uh, the preservatives, the chemicals, the carcinogens, they're not there. So it's the best of the worst if it says PET on the label. But remember, when you're looking at anything that's sold as pet food, when that chicken goes into the rendering factory, the breast, the thigh, the leg, the parts that you and I think about, Deb, those parts go over to the human side. The parts that are literally left over on the slaughterhouse floor, the beak, the tail, the the hooves, uh, the insides, the parts that we don't like to think about, those, unfortunately, are the parts that go over to the pet side. So no matter how good the TV commercial looks or how pretty the graphics are on that package, don't think that that lamb chop or the filet mignon or the chicken breast is actually in that package of food because it is not. So for those but, of you, you know, I want to ask you, is there anything wrong? Like I've seen people, greyhound, rescue greyhound people, the people who adopt greyhounds, they feed their, their dogs three times a week, chicken necks and backs. I've seen in Israel, uh, chicken feet constantly thrown into dinners for dogs. Like, is that bad? No, actually, actually, the chicken vertebrae, you don't want to give too many at a time, and you don't want to do it more than two to three times a day, be, uh, a week, excuse me, because it's very rich, but it's, it's like a little dental floss. So dogs love them. They're great for the teeth, the gums, dental and oral hygiene, A-plus on that, and it's a great source of protein. Okay, so it's so, not the ingredient you're talking about. It's the process, it sounds like, right? Well, we're talking about ingredients and process and processing, but if you're talking about chicken backs, the back is just the spinal cord, which is made of a series of vertebrae. So, for example, if you had a 30-pound dog and you wanted to know what would be okay for my dog, I would say he could have two vertebrae two to three times a week, tops. And remember that it's messy, so you want to offer that to your pet outside or it'll mess up your house big time. And that, what would that be for, like a young, healthy Exercising a lot, type dog, or no, elderly too? Dogs of of any age, it's a great treat, and it's great for the dental health, and they love it. Oh, okay. Okay, what else can we... It's a very healthy, low-cal, high-protein snack. Okay, what else should we be thinking about? Like, what happens when I get cottage cheese, and I know it's going to go off, and I don't plan to serve it, but it's still good. I don't dump it. I don't let it go off. I give it to my dogs. I give my dogs eggs all the time, because I have hens. I cook the eggs, though. Should I not be cooking them? Should I be cooking them? I cook them. I I think in today's world with the contamination in the human and the pet food chain, cooking your food makes a whole lot of sense as opposed to eating it raw. For those of you that might be thinking about homemade diets, it's as easy as pie, just like Deb said. You can go one of two ways. With with dogs, one-third is going to be your lean protein, your chicken, your turkey, your beef, or Deborah, in your case, eggs, one egg, seven grams of pure protein. Category number two is your long-acting carbs. That would be any kind of rice, potato, pasta, noodles, or macaroni. 
And the third phase, one-third fresh vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, carrots, green beans, peas, spinach, the list is endless. Pick one item from each category, cook it any way you like, mix it together. The final preparation, you can add a half a teaspoon of extra virgin olive oil per cup of food. It enhances the smell and the taste, and it's a great source of those essential omega-3 fatty acids. And finally, remember that dogs like food that smells good, so season it up. The top three flavors most dogs enjoy, barbecue sauce, pasta or tomato sauce, and the brown sauce that a lot of that Chinese carryout comes in, which is called tamari, T is in Tom, A-M-A-R-I. You can buy a bottle of low-sodium tamari for a couple of dollars at just about any grocery store. For those of you that are worried about carbohydrates and allergies, just eliminate the carbohydrates, make it 50% lean protein, 50% fresh vegetables. And for you cat lovers out there, remember, cats are obligate carnivores. They were designed to eat meat and meat alone, not omnivores like man and dogs designed to eat meat and plants. So for you cat lovers out there, 80% meat, 20% fresh veggies. What kind of veggies do cats like? They like the little white asparagus tips. They love creamed corn. They like finely grated uh, shredded zucchini that's nice and fresh and you can mix that into the meat while it's fresh and in its uncooked form and it adds a little bit of texture as well as color to the food and you know that first pets judge their meal based on smell and number two they judge the meal based on texture and then after the food's been eaten then it comes down to taste. Okay, now my cats try to get into cucumber, so I've let them have that. They seem to like to lick melon, but not eat it. And then I don't let them have cottage cheese and milk, but they really, really want it. Am I right not to let them? You know, for the, for the most part, you are. Cottage cheese and milk are filled with the milk protein, which we refer to as lactose, and with, with age... And the need for suck, you know, and once the need for suckling or, or nursing, breastfeeding, if you will, has subsided, uh, the enzyme lactase responsible for digesting that milk protein, the amount of that enzyme diminishes in the body. So a lot of times that can lead to what we refer to as lactose intolerance, which turns out to be diarrhea. So uncreamed cottage cheese is a, is a nice little protein source. If you've got a dog, for example, with a little, a little kidney issue and you're looking for ways to increase the protein without adding meat so that you can avoid that phosphorus. But uncreamed cottage cheese, no problem. When it's real creamy, be careful because it can lead to diarrhea. Okay, so when my yogurt, same thing as the cottage cheese, when I think I'm not going to use it up and it's getting near the date, I give it to the dogs. I haven't given it to the cats. They really give me the evil eye on this one. Should I be giving them yogurt or no? Absolutely. Yeah, filled with friendly bacteria called lactobacillus. They help to <laughs> absorb the previously digested it. nutrients in the diet. They line our intestines. And we need them. So it's a great little snack by, by yogurt with fruit that tastes good. Dogs and cats both love it, and it's absolutely fine. That's so funny because they, they actually have the gall to jump up on the counters, which they almost never do, in my face when I'm doing this. Like, they look at me like, are you kidding me? Like, they just, they can't, they're shocked that I'm giving it to the dogs. There's a little cat-dog rivalry going on here. There's, yeah, uh, and that just shows you how keen their sense of smell is because for the most part, we don't think of yogurt as even having a smell, but it does, in fact, and that's why those cats are jumping onto that counter. Okay, so yogurt's good for everybody. 
Yogurt is always good, yes. You get that organic yogurt, it's got those live active cultures, and those are those friendly bacteria that we need to absorb our food. Now, I like to give my, I try to get my kids to eat salmon and tuna from the can with the oil in it, but some, they won't, they only like a little bit. So instead of pouring the rest down the sink, I do give that to the dogs and the cats. That's okay, right? A little bit is okay. It, it provides a source of EPA and DHA, which are, are essential omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, too much oil of any kind uh, can, can, lead to, can lead to diarrhea, so you just need to kind of use your good judgment on that. But if you stick with that rule, about a half a teaspoon per cup of food, uh, about a half a teaspoon per 30 pounds, you, you, should, you should be just fine. And, and with your cats, if you want to avoid that problem, you can always buy a variety of fish products. Instead of getting them packed in oil, you could get them packed in water so that you kind of have a little bit of a choice there. Okay. Now, one time we were talking and you told me about pumpkins and it was so close to Halloween. It was perfect because all the farmers around here have like almost free pumpkins. And I ended up giving my nursing moms the choice of lots and lots of pumpkin. They were thrilled with that. Um, but you also told me about a messy but healthy chew toys made from frozen vegetables for puppies. And I have two litters right now in my barn, two different ages. They're a month apart, different moms. And um, so I have major puppies. So I'm very, very happy for the suggestion. So maybe you can tell people how they do this. I've actually just given them frozen vegetables in a bowl, and they love it. They just love yeah. it. Yeah. Any, anything that's frozen, carrots and, and green beans are, are ideal. You can take a few, cut them into appropriate size pieces, which would be twice the distance from the tip of the nose to the, to the area right between their ears so that it's big enough to chew on but not too small. You, you want to avoid choking. But any kind of a fresh vegetable, throw it in the freezer. It works great. The same thing with ice cubes. Again, that's going to be an outside kind of a treat. You can even take a washcloth or just an old cotton rag, dip it in fruit juice, tie it in a knot, throw it in a baggie, and stick it in the freezer. Those are just great, wonderful, homemade, healthy chew and teething treats that are great not only for young puppies that are teething, but chew toys for dogs of all ages. I'm not sure that I would leave a puppy with the cloth in case they tried to ingest it. I oh, think no, I'd no. have to watch them. Anything you do like that with a puppy, you're going to need to keep your eye on them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when I pour it, these are two-month-old and three-month-old puppies. And when I go into the barn with a bag of frozen vegetables and I pour it into the bowls, they are like, so excited. They're just running around and each one will grab like a big thing of broccoli or cauliflower or something and run off to their little corner and gnaw away on it. It's adorable, actually. They look and like little vegetarians. Great, yeah, and that's a great way to introduce a young puppy to, to, to healthy foods like fresh vegetables is, is uh, to either freeze fresh, fresh vegetables or consider already frozen vegetables, use them as teething treats, feed them to your family, and when your dog grows up, he'll grow up loving vegetables and getting all okay. the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients associated with them. I am going to talk about the monkey before we finish the show, and it kind of ties in with our animal sexual maturity topics. But before we get to that, I want to talk about catnip, because we were talking about pot and pets. And, you know, catnip, I know people, uh, organic, healthy-minded people sometimes have said and used it, and it's sold as, uh, catnip is sold as a tea that they recommend uh, for nursing moms who can't sleep. And there's various, various recommendations for how it's used. So it must have some effect on humans, but most of it's just like the way it looks. And we, I grow it in my garden, and I have very happy stone cats. 
It doesn't seem to affect the young kittens. It seems to affect all of my cats. I know not all cats are affected. Do you want to tell us, is, is catnip a bad thing? I mean, none of mine have ever OD'd on it, and they, they kind of have free access to it all season long and then dried it through the winter. They seem to yeah, just cat, take what they need. Catnip is a, is, a, is a wonderful herb that cats like. You can buy it fresh. You can buy it dried. You can pick a few of your cat's favorite toys. Uh, if you're trying to encourage exercise, you can rub it on a few favorite toys. You can even rub it on the stairs if you've got one of those little cat trees to encourage your cat to go up and down the tree to get a little bit of exercise. So giving your cats a little bit of catnip, 15 or 20 minute sessions, two to three times a week, I think is just excellent. Cats normally sleep 18 hours a day. It stimulates them mentally and physically. It's a great way to stimulate your cat to exercise and have a little fun at the same time. Now, they kind of crash after. Is that like they have a high energy period and then they crash? And sometimes they will crash right in the bed of catnip or in the flower bucket of catnip. But it doesn't seem to, you know, they wake up alert again. It's almost like it loses its effect on them when they've had too much. Is that? Yeah, and that's, and that's why I mentioned giving it two or three times a week and spacing it out. That way the effect is fresh each time and they don't build up a little bit of a tolerance to it. So as opposed to making it available to your cat all day, every day, I would pick two or three special days of the week and and make it available to your cat, you know, at at those times so that your cat gets the full effect and it works. At what age would a cat be? Because some cats genetically just don't react to it. So when can someone find out? At six months, 10 months? I think six months is a perfect age. Six months, okay. You'll know one way or the other. And if your cat isn't into it, it's not its fault. It just isn't made that way, right? It's just your cat. Cats are funny. They either like it or they don't, and there's not too much in between. Like cats, they either like meat or they like fish. Every now and then you'll find a cat that'll have a little bit of both. But in general, cats are very specific as to what they do and do not like, whether it's food or catnip. Well, you know, there was this monkey showed up in an Ikea parking lot wearing a designer coat. Really cute, adorable little Designer mink coat. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, you saw him. Trimmed in fur. And, yeah, and the people had to surround it and call animal control, and they got a hold of the owners. And, anyway, they had to sign it over to the authorities who sent it off to a rescue facility. And I've seen footage on YouTube of this little monkey, the Ikea monkey. You can, you can Google him, Toronto Ikea monkey. You'll see him. And he's an adorable little guy. He's finally naked. He's finally running around with other monkeys. He's got this baboon surrogate mother who's like a lonely foster mom that's always there adopting new things, has had a kitten before, and is being really good with him. And he's acting like a monkey. Now, the family is all upset, even though it's illegal in Ontario to own a monkey, and they bought him last summer, so illegally, and they admit that, they paid the $250 fine, and now they want their monkey back. And they're showing pictures of him brushing his teeth and playing with their parrot and their dog and their other pets and living in their house a suburban life. And the animal rescue worker, the person who works at the sanctuary, and it's a sanctuary for ex-lab animals, ex-Hollywood animals, you know, all kinds of monkeys end up there, and they know monkeys. She says, you know, He's real cute now. He's a tiny baby. At six, he's going to grow these wicked teeth called canine teeth. And he's also going to get sexually mature at some point. And he's going to want a mate. He's not going to have a mate. How are they going to like him then? Good point. Good point, you know? And I just think people don't know what they're getting into. They fall in love with these animal babies that have really been stolen. I mean, it's all bad, isn't it? What are they thinking? Remember that they call them wild animals for a reason, and wild animals are best left to the professionals and the rescue associations, the zoos and the parks that handle them. Everybody's cute. 
all people, all dogs, all kitties, all monkeys, we're all cute when we're little tiny babies, but remember, those monkeys and apes grow up, they're about six times stronger than a human adult male. Their strength is unbelievable, and they are wild animals, they're not predictable, and although you may love them, love them the right way, which is as a wild animal, uh, don't, don't try to make them into something that they're not. They were not created to, to grow up and live in your living room. And quite honestly, at the end of the day, whether it's a, a monkey or a, a snake or a lion, at the end of the day, the only one that truly suffers is, is that pet. And that's just it. They're not pets. They're, they're wild animals and are best left to either the professionals or, or wildlife. Well, what I notice about this whole issue is that you, you see people with these babies, like when I'm touring Mexico, I often see this, with these animal babies, monkey babies, you never see the grown-ups, uh, ever, 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 because they can't be out in public. They've been pawned off or killed or put down or sold or traded or they're not well, around. Right, and people, people get snakes for pets, all of a sudden the snake grows up and they don't know what to do with it. So this one fellow lived in an apartment building, and he put it in the in the heat ex, in the heat exhaust. They had to evacuate the entire the the entire complex. So remember, you know, and you see that cute puppy in the window. Don't buy on impulse. Do your homework, and remember that when you get a pet that's supposed to be a pet, you're making a lifelong decision. When it comes to chimps and apes and snakes, those are not pets. Those are wild animals that you can love, enjoy, and appreciate in the wildlife and the zoological parks, but don't bring them into your house. You're really only hurting them in the long run and risking your own yeah. health and wellness as well, like the woman who had her face ripped off you know, by the chimp and had to have a face transplant. Oh, totally. And if he'd done that to another chimp, the chimp would not have been injured. That's the thing. Like, we're just not built like them. We're very vulnerable. This is not sensible as a pet choice. But I also think of some of the exotics that maybe do make less aggressive pets, like parrots. People get them, or monkeys a lot of time, but parrots. Parrots is a good example because it's really common, especially in warmer places. But they, they have a lifespan where if you're 50 and you get a parrot you got to figure out who's going to have it when you die. And I don't think people figure this out, you know? Right. Parrots live longer than elephants. It's not uncommon for parrots to live to be 80 to 90 years old. And monkeys aren't short-lived either. This little baby monkey that these people in their 40s got is going to be a problem for their children if they keep it, which they probably won't. Yeah, and, and hopefully the, 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 the state and the officials will come in and they'll make the right decisions. And that'll be the right decision not only for the animal, but also ultimately for the people that love that animal as well. Well, to my mind, already, if, the, if this little monkey at this age, before sexual maturity, before canine teeth, before its full wits are about it, was able to escape from their care and end up in the Ikea parking lot, we're already showing that, hey, you guys don't know what you're doing. Come on now. Really, you know, you got to keep better care. How, how do we even know this monkey exists if you're so in control and if he's so enamored with his care? Well, Why and, you and if, you were, if you were doing a good job in taking care of that little baby monkey, chances are he would have never been running around in that parking lot to begin with. That's what I'm saying. Escape in a parking lot with cars in the snow in Toronto. I mean, no, you know, he's like a baby. His mother would be horrified. She would never let yes. that happen. And neither right, would the baboon surrogate that's taken him under her wing. Right. Teaching him it's all just that. like all those feral cats. It's a 24-7 job, whether it's an infant with two feet or four. 
it helps if you have the same skill set and the same wisdom to impart on what to eat, what not to eat, what to climb, how to do the same anatomy. That helps as a mom. Yes, it definitely does. And getting an animal that you know is potentially so much bigger and so much stronger than you could ever be that you don't have the means to properly raise the animal, care for the animal, or even protect yourself from the animal. Uh, it's something that people really need to sit down and think about until the federal government and laws are kicked in so that these animals are protected and taken care of in the right, in the right type of facilities. Well, we're lucky in this case because Ontario's laws are pretty strict and the animal's already gone. They're already slapped with fine and the, the animal's already in the right hands, you know, so they're trying to appeal the decision and fight it. But I don't think they're going to get anywhere. But, um, but it, it, it's partly, I think, a size thing. And I really think people, even cats, people underestimate animals. You know, when you take a cat, I'll often talk about a first aid kit you need in your home, and I'll, I'll say you need a muzzle or you need something you can, you can make sure you put over your cat's face so he won't bite you. And they say, oh, my cat would never bite me. Really? If he was hit by a car and half his leg was missing and you were trying to get him to the vet, he wouldn't bite you when he's out of his head with pain? I mean, think about it, right? Like, sometimes I don't think people get how strong a raccoon might be or because they adopt one or a lemur or this tiny little monkey from Ikea that's no bigger than a cocker spaniel. Well, you wouldn't believe how strong an eight-pound cat is either. So they, yeah. they, uh, they're a pocket full of surprises, I can, I can tell you that. What's your worst experience uh, as a veterinarian with a cat who didn't want you to deal with it? Well, the worst thing that ever happened to me when I was a very young veterinarian just getting started with my own practice is a kitty got loose and ended up in the rafters. So my advice is, if you're going to open up a veterinary clinic, make sure you've got flush ceilings and no rafters for that cat to crawl up in, because I think it took us two weeks to find that kitty. <laughs> you're talking about, I know this, because I've... I, I, like I worked in different vet clinics and I can't, I think there's three that had a story like this. It's those white ceiling tiles, isn't it? Where they sort of yeah. pop them and then they yeah, sneak up exactly under them. Yeah, they, they slip right under them. And then you hear it. And you shut the door, shut the door, till it gets caught weeks later. <laughs> you, 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 know, you know they're there, but you can't catch them to save your soul. And unfortunately, they go in and out of your front and back door just as, just as quick. So you think you can keep your eye on them 24-7, but you can't. So be responsible. Don't buy on impulse. Don't buy wild animals and try to make them as pets. And consider cooking your own homemade pet food. It'll be great for the upcoming holiday season. Okay, how can people, I know you've got a website and a number and all this stuff. How can people reach you, Dr. Carroll? Well, I'm Dr. Carol Osborne. I'm a veterinarian in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. You can reach us by phone at 866-372-2765, which is really 1-866-DR-CAROL. You can visit us online at carolonpets.com, or you can visit our e-commerce site, which is www.drcarol.com. Thank you, Dr. Carol. Well, I guess that's it, everybody. We talked to Dr. Carol. You know what? Let's just give them some holiday tips before we go. Why not? We're close to Christmas. Let's just tell them. We're already through Hanukkah, so I'm not going to warn them about the candles and the menorahs and all that stuff. We missed it this year. But if you are lighting candles connected to the holidays, don't leave them burning when the kids go to bed and you go to bed and the dogs and cats are still around. Cats are hopeless with candles. They chase them. Yeah, and remember them, if you're, if you're baking holiday cookies that raw yeast is a no-no because it rises in your dog's belly and it causes a nasty stomachache. Okay. And uh, binging on gravy. I know the most common thing animals go to the vet for this time of year is 
eating something they shouldn't. And that doesn't necessarily mean food, but it can be too much gravy. It can be getting in the garbage and the tinfoil. It can also be decorations. Yeah, watch where you throw those those holiday scraps. Make sure that you have a pet-proof container with a with a lid that locks. Don't allow your pet open access to the holiday spreads. And as far as alcohol, tobacco, and coffee go, make sure that you put those in a place up high, out of paw reach, because none of those things are any good for pets. And remember, grapes and raisins are toxic to pets. So if you've got grapes and or raisins in your stuffing, keep that away from your pets because it can cause kidney failure. Or in your bread or in your cookies. There's lots of places raisins turn up. And what about cranberries? Cranberries are great. You can feed them to your dogs and cats. They help to acidify the urine pH. So it's a great way to relieve a urinary tract infection. And remember, for those of you that have dogs and cats that are a little bit nervous this upcoming holiday season, turkey contains the amino acid tryptophan, which has a calming effect on people and pets. And that's part of the reason why most of us feel a little bit sleepy after a holiday feast. So if you have a dog or a cat that's a little nervous because of all the festivities, give them a little turkey to calm his nerves. Now, I don't think cats worry about cholesterol, right? So dark meat for cats, or what would you do there? I would feed them darker white meat. I don't think it matters. It's a personal, personal preference. They're both And what fine. about skin, veggies? No, not that, the skin. Not the skin. Yeah, if you and don't eat it, neither should your pet. And that, okay. fa- that kind of fatty food, the scraps and the skins, those are the things that cause belly aches with vomiting and, and diarrhea that then lead to pancreatitis and on and on and on. Okay. So you want to avoid vomiting and diarrhea, the number one and number two holiday-related pet conditions, by keeping your pet's meal as consistent as you possibly can over the holidays. And make sure that your pet has a, has a, has a choker with a name tag with updated and, and correct information as far as names, addresses, and phone numbers because holiday guests come in, those doors open and close all the time, and you just never know when Fido or Fluffy might just kind of slip out that door. Yeah, I like to make sure if I am entertaining and people are coming by, uh, I like to make sure I have something they can give my pets that's healthy. And so they get, you know, with a little sign that says, make me do a trick, because there'll be a dog parked in front of it, and they'll, <laughs> they'll know what to do, you know, trick for treat, some sign like that. And then, you know, then you're a little bit in control. But I also want to talk about some of the cold weather things, like wash your pet's feet off, dry it off if they're in a lot of road salt, because otherwise they're going to lick it and get sick. And make sure your water for your pets doesn't freeze when they're outside. Make sure they have shelter. I know you've said before, snow is not water. So make sure. Snow is, is, is not a good substitute for water and for pets that are outside. Make sure that they've, that they've got a shelter. Make sure that it's insulated. Put hot water in the bowl so that it stays liquid a little longer. Uh, ice and snow don't work. And remember that antifreeze it's in your car. It's in your radiators. It is deadly and it is toxic for pets. Propylene glycol is a less toxic form sold in a brand called Sierra. It works just as well in your car, but it's a lot less toxic to your pet. Antifreeze tastes and smells good. Uh, about a tablespoon can be fatal for about a 10-pound dog. So, Keep your pets out of the area when you're changing your antifreeze, or even if you have a radiator leaks, watch out because your pets will be right there on the spot. And about the Christmas tree, try to use just water in the base if you've got pets because that flavored colored stuff is kind of irresistible and it's not good for them. It's toxic. Also, if you've got these beautiful glass ornaments 
And if you've got food you like to decorate the tree with, like popcorn and lollipops that look like Santa and chocolates and things like that, you cannot do that with pets. You either have to put the tree all decorated like that, tempting and decorated with food and breakables, put that somewhere where you can lock the pets out and shut the door. Maybe there's a windowed room that it sets off beautifully. But if you want it in the living room with everybody else and you want to go to bed or go out and leave your pets with it, you need to think about this. Put that stuff away because you can't expect your dog who wants to eat everything or your cat who can't resist something dangly to not go for it and yeah and remember you can you can make uh holiday decorating into a great family project uh and into a a pet safe family project you can use red velvet bows instead of hooks to hang your ornaments for the ornaments you can make non-breakable pet proof homemade ornaments safe for pets fun for the whole family can try using cardboard, plastic, dried non-toxic flowers, fabric, wood, and even pine cones. There's a lot you can get in a craft store or scrapbook store to, for supplies like this, and it is a keep-busy activity for kids at home. It's very, very easy. I like your substitution of paper clips because cats love to chase them, and then they eat them, and it's a big deal to get out of them. But I yeah, want to also encourage people to anchor the tree. You know, when I had a tree and I had kittens, I would anchor it to the ceiling because the kittens would climb up the tree right up. You know, got to watch it. Yeah, and make sure that you buy pet-proof extension cords, which if you need to, you can spray with bitter apple or even Tabasco sauce uh, to make sure that your pets don't fuss with them. And remember that all your lights should be UL approved, and when you're not home or when you're sleeping, make sure to turn them off to avoid void fires. That Christmas tree water that you mentioned, lots of it contains pine needles. If the tree has fertilizers and or preservatives, your pet drinks it, and guess what? Gastritis or there's a big bellyache on the way. And remember that that stagnant Christmas tree water is also a great breeding ground for bacteria. So once again, your pets drink it. That's a big holiday emergency no-no. They often become ill with vomiting and diarrhea. You know, and the Christmas tree also, um, around here, the fire, the fire stations all have these big signs showing and lit up saying, make sure you keep your Christmas tree watered because um, the dry, if they're too dry, they're real fire hazard. So we want y'all to be safe this holiday. Be smart. Make sure the pets are out of the room when things are being opened, especially cats, till you get that wrapping and ribbon all secure. Make sure they're out of Right, and for those of you that use liquid potpourri, which is usually placed in simmering pots and decorative bowls, very dangerous, especially for cats. The cats rub up against it, and then what happens when the cat goes to groom himself to remove a little bit of that oil? That oil is toxic. The cat licks it. It ulcerates the tongue, the throat, the mouth, all the way down to the stomach. So if that should happen, you want to give your cat a bath in warm ivory soap, wrap him or her up in a clean, warm towel, offer some warm milk, Call your vet. Most cats recover in just a few days. I have a question for you that I just thought of because of that. I have these little tiny crock pots that I keep in the two guest bathrooms, plugged in when guests are coming. But I don't use oil. I put just plain water in them. And then, depending on the time of year, right now I put cinnamon sticks in them. Uh, When it's spring, I'll usually put like basil or mint. Sometimes I put orange slices if I don't have anything else. Lemon balm. Is that going to be the same risk to them or is that not really a big deal? No, I think, I think that's not, not only excellent, but it's a great flea and bug repellent. So oh, I, I think that well, a, it smells great and it's uh, easy. And it to helps clean. to repel pale bugs and fleas. I think it's excellent. 
Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I'll keep doing that. I also do that in, um, I have like an ornamental old fashioned kettle that I keep on my wood stove full of water with a mixture like this because it just makes everything smell kind of nice and fresh. And I didn't yeah, think and I remember was for, Remember That's for you awesome. bird owners, if you're cooking with Teflon, remember those Teflon fumes are toxic to birds. So if you're cooking with Teflon and you've got a bird, keep your bird out of the kitchen. Okay. What if I have a coop a hundred meters away? No problem, right? A hundred meters away? Yeah. Uh, as long as it's far enough away that, 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 you know, that, that the fumes aren't going to get there, then I think you're fine. Interesting, because for some reason my hens stopped laying mid-September and I can't quite figure out why. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know I why. Don't, I don't have the solution as to why your hens have stopped laying, but for those of you who have cats that love to get into garland, tinsel, and angel hair, remember two-tone ribbon works just as well? but you can avoid the cats nibbling like they like to do with tinsel and angel hair, and then you can also avoid costly emergency visits. They get what we call a linear foreign body because that's how the cat's intestines look on an x-ray after they've gotten done eating garland, tinsel, and angel hair. Oh, that's terrible. Okay, well, I want you to tell me something. I I came up early in the show, and we are running out of time, and so I need to just ask you this one thing. You were talking about cooking for pets, and dogs in particular, one-third... Uh, protein, one-third carbs, one-third veg. The cats, I think, was 80-20 with no carbs. The carbs for the dogs, is there, like it seems people have this idea that it's better to eat brown rice, that white rice is sugar and flour. And is there, is it better to feed your dog brown rice as opposed to pasta? You know, uh, I, have to leave, I have to leave the answer to that question to the experts. Traditionally, uh, for example, if you were to ask Dr. Oz, he would lean you towards the brown, towards the brown rice. Uh, lately, there's been information coming, about, coming out with respect to arsenic in the hull of the rice. Uh, and because I've not had time to properly research that, I will leave that one on the sidelines and say to use whichever you feel best about. Generally, though, brown rice is superior to white rice, just like with bread and with and with flour. Okay. Okay, well, is there anything else you'd like to tell my listeners before we go this time? Because I do plan to have you back, Dr. Carroll, if you'll come join us again on Pet Life Radio. Well, I would love to join you on Pet Life Radio. Just remember, this upcoming holiday season, plan ahead. And for those of you that are thinking of flying the friendly skies, make sure you've got your reservations booked because about 80% of the reservations are gone. So... If you're traveling with pets, don't wait until the last minute. Plan ahead and you'll have a great trip. All right, everybody. Enjoy the season from Animal Party and Pet Life Radio. And me, Deb Wolf. Stay safe and be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.